time for us to take a look at our midday. Uh, listen, I should, you know, this is not a video media. Take a listen, right? What, what was that? I'm sorry. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> you don't You don't want to see this no, on TV. No. There's a reason I work in radio. That's right. I think that we can say that for all of us. We are looking at a uh, supposed Bigfoot picture right now. And, Alleged. Yeah. We're and not. why is it that all Bigfoot and Loch Ness Monster pictures are always grainy? There's Absolutely. not a good one that looks anywhere decent, and that's the reason I don't believe in either one. Can we get a, a decent picture with some megapixels or something that, that actually works in there or something? I don't know. But anyway... So, but like I'm saying, we got a midday uh, program here, I think. That's what we're doing anyway. We've got Brandon Bennett. You heard him already. And we've got Bob Brogan and Susan Littlefield's here. Hi, Susan. I beg to differ because I think out of all of you, I'm the better looking one. Okay. Well, listen. <laughs> you're, you're setting the bar incredibly low for yourself, but, uh, you know. know, you do what you got to do. <laughs> hey, <laughs> we'll take video of you. We are there on radio for a reason, that's for sure. So, aye, aye, aye. all right, well, let's right. get out of this. And what, what do you got for us? Hey, we're going to kick it all off at 1219 with Undersecretary Greg Eyeball once again. Found him at the National Western Stock Show in Colorado. He talks about the USDA's role. And it's kind of an interesting perspective and things you might not think about when it comes to the movement of livestock in and out of that show. So we'll find out more from him then. And then at 1245, I'll be speaking with Benny Cox. Benny is a sheep producer from the great state of Texas. He is also the current president of the American Sheep Industry Association as their annual convention gets underway. We talked about some payment issues with China. Believe it or not, the sheep industry lost a lot of money when it came to wool and pelts. Hmm. We'll talk more about that. And then Shabella Guzman steps in at 117 as we continue our Women in Ag series. This time we'll... We're going to the small town of Dix to learn about Sarah Nicholas. She's not only growing crops and calves, but she's growing leaders as well. So more is coming up on that as we wrap up the midday. Ah, uh, yes. Good old Dix, Nebraska. Potter Dix High School. Very good. All right. Wow. I'm impressed. Thanks. 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 All right. You're welcome. Thank you, Susan. We'll talk You're to welcome. you later. <laughs> Bye. All right. We turn it over now to uh, Brandon Bennett. And uh, so uh, what we got going on in sports today? I could never do it as well as James Earl Jones, but we are going to talk about the circle of life, mm. especially in sports, because as one career ended mm-hmm. yesterday, Eli Manning announced that he's going to retire. His press conference is going to be tomorrow. Another career finally is getting off the ground. Zion Williamson, the Duke star that played for one year, had a knee injury, is finally right. coming back from that after his meniscus tear. He had 17 straight points Dude. in his debut yesterday. He ended up scoring 22 total. So as mm-hmm. one career ended, another career is taking off. We're going to talk about the Northwest basketball game where the University of Nebraska Kearney men's and women's are heading down there and the tough task ahead for the Lopers, especially on the men's side. All right, very good. Let's turn it over to Bob Brogan. What do you know today? Well, stocks are falling on Wall Street uh, as investors worry that a deadly virus outbreak in China could continue spreading and hurt the global economy. We're all concerned about that and uh, we're wondering if we need to shelter in place. I think I'll just stay out in the open for now, but uh, I don't know. Eventually, I may uh, shelter. Okay. Uh, also, American Airlines, uh, several companies are out with their fourth quarter profit, including Union Pacific. So they're giving a fourth quarter earnings snapshot. Also, American Airlines is giving one, and you're going to be hearing about a whole lot of other ones. So that's coming up on the business news. All right. That's all coming up on Midday. 
Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network, joined with Mike Zuzlo, Global Commodity Analytics, as we take a midday look here at the trade. And, Mike, we've got corn back around into the green, but really, when you look at the fundamentals, ethanol production not looking so favorable for it. We did get a little bit of export news, but nothing from China. So where's this uh, bullishness coming from? Yeah, the big thing I think right now, Clay, that we have going on is this market is starting to find a little bit more support from the Brazilian and Argentine weather, and the the corn market's really trying to hone in on the strong price gains in the Brazilian corn price, especially that we've seen starting last week but continuing again this week. And now we have, for for instance, the Brazilian corn price around $192 a ton. That compares to about $180 a ton here at the Gulf of Mexico. That translates into about $4 cash corn in Cincinnati at the Ohio River. And so kind of get an idea of how much more expensive Brazil is. Their weather is playing a role. Their advanced exports earlier in the year playing a role. Their livestock feeding playing a role. And it's it's a fortunate thing for us, given what you're talking about with the coronavirus, still very much playing a role in the commodities overall. Talking about that coronavirus in China, China has now locked down major cities. They're uh, canceling large festivals going into the Lunar New Year. What could this possibly do to pork consumption in that country? Yeah, this is where corn and hogs are really fighting the supply fundamentals today, and I think it may be a situation where the demand fundamentals and the supply fundamentals are extreme enough that there's some pushback, and in the case of both, there's enough fun shorts in the market that they can dial in enough negativity and not have to price it in. Ethanol supplies, this week's reports just came out a little bit ago, up to the highest level since last July. The cold storage report for pork yesterday afternoon showing that the pork is now 15% above in cold storage what we had a year ago. And now we have the cattle on feed coming out on Friday with expectations of pretty decent-sized placements. But the nuts and bolts is is the supply side is not as bullish or price-friendly, yet the corn and the hogs continue to rally. And I think that's more of a short-covering issue. I think what's necessary now is that we see follow-through technically on the charts, specifically the weekly charts. As we talked about, I think, yesterday, I'd really like to see a weekly close in the corn above 395. I think that would give me a technical sigh of relief. Speaking of those technicals, let's shift this back into the soybean trade. I looked on the charts this morning from the first trading day of 2020 now uh, to towards the middle of January. We have dropped more than 50 cents on that March contract. Does this create some bearish technical signals? It could. I think this is where we really don't want to close below 905 on a weekly basis, in my opinion, on soybeans. And we don't certainly don't want to close below 899. I think that would be very negative on a weekly basis as well, technically speaking. I think you have maybe a little bit of a supportive feature. If the corn holds together, and I'm correct that it's because of Brazilian weather and Argentine weather, Maybe the beans pick up on that a little bit more because obviously they're grown in the same regions. It's pretty clear, though, at this stage of the crop season in Brazil and Argentina both, that you're probably going to have a better crop in soybeans, part of that being just the bigger acreage base that they started out with. Again, we're talking with Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. You can learn more by visiting his website, globalanalytics.biz. Mention the Rural Radio Network there and get a two-week free trial of Mike's newsletter. Again, mention the Rural Radio Network, a two-week free trial of Mike's in-depth analysis of these markets. Remember, trading futures and options does involve risk of loss. and may not be suitable for all investors. Consider the risks before investing.
Time for us to take a look at our weather and see uh, how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. Still, uh, still some. I had a, got a call a little bit ago, Paul, from a guy that was traveling from Fillmore County to Gage County, and he said it was snowing pretty much the whole way through. Exactly. Yeah, we've got some areas where there is some rain falling with this system, but uh, starting to see a little more snow with this system over basically the southeast half of Nebraska okay. across. Uh, especially along its southeast of the line from about old Columbus to the Lexington and Kearney areas where we're seeing uh, that snow continuing to fall. Uh, we've seen some snowflakes off and on here at the KRV and studio, but we're kind of on the western edge of that. And we're we're 36 degrees right now, so we're a little bit warmer and stuff like you, like you mentioned. It's still pretty chilly. Right at that, again, we're kind of hanging right at that freezing area, right? Exactly, and it was uh, causing for some slick travel conditions this morning where we were seeing some of that rain and some snow when it did get down to around the freezing mark. Uh, luckily, me coming into work, I didn't have too much of a problem coming in. But, Good. but yeah, we did have some low 30s. We still have some low 30s, especially from about the Tri-Cities and points on towards the southeast part of Nebraska, even some upper 20s on into northern areas of Nebraska. The system has produced about 2 to 3 inches of snow towards north-central Nebraska. The main area of snow right now, once again, from about Tecama to Columbus and to Kearney and points off towards the southeast. The main bulk of the snow currently from about Lincoln down to the Hebron area is where some of the heavier stuff is, but it is providing for some slushy conditions in much of central and east Nebraska and about the eastern half of Kansas. Just as this system moves uh, southeast, we're going to see maybe a little bit more snow as some snow is continuing to move in from about north of Broken Bow from Ainsworth to uh, the O'Neill area, and that is drifting towards the east. Now, we do have a very well-defined cloud and sunshine line West Central, Southwest Nebraska, and Western Kansas seeing a lot of sunshine. Uh, the, that cloud line basically from about Mullen to North Platte and the Cambridge area and Norton and points off towards the west of that, seeing some sunshine, but to the east of that Mullen, North Platte, and Cambridge and Norton line, we got quite a bit of cloud cover across the area. Because of the slushy conditions and bad travel, winter weather advisory is in effect still until 6 this evening, and it looks like they're going to keep this intact for much of central and eastern Nebraska into eastern Kansas. The advisory in Nebraska, along and east of the line from Ainsworth to Grand Island, Hastings, and Superior, Kansas, this advisory from Concordia points to the south and east. The heaviest snow occurring in many areas before noon today, but the highest amounts expected to be north and east of a line from Hebron to Ord. Snow and some rain remain possible over the central and east today. On the backside of a slow-moving low-pressure system tracking from Iowa to Illinois, western areas a little more sunshine as some high pressure continues to build from the west. Northwest winds will be strong with the region sitting between low pressure and high pressure. Our temperatures seasonal in the central and east to warmer than usual where there's more sunshine on into the west. That snow over the central and east winds down for this evening as high pressure starts to take a little bit more control from the west. Tomorrow's winds will still be slightly breezy out of the northwest as high pressure builds in from the Dakotas. The weekend and early next week will be dry with seasonal to above normal temperatures as high, uh, high pressure ridge starts to build in from the west. Some accumulating snow is possible by Monday night into Wednesday with an area of low pressure, but it looks like the main storm track with this system will be mainly to our south. So right now, just some small precipitation chances in the forecast Monday night into Wednesday. Here in our long-term forecast, temperatures forecast to be warmer than normal Tuesday through the first five days of February. So once we get past this, things looking up. Above normal precipitation is likely Tuesday through the 5th of February in Nebraska and Kansas. 
Looks like that better chance of moisture still looks to be the early to middle part of next week. Regional drought monitor that was released today. Nebraska dropped a couple of percentage points to 96% drought free. Abnormal dryness increased in coverage over the southwest. It now covers basically the area from around Sydney to the east of McCook and points to the southwest. Kansas continues to be 67% drought free. Abnormally dry to a moderate drought over most of western Kansas and over the south central from Coldwater to northwest of Wichita to Cottonwood Falls. Severe drought remains in the southwest from Garden City down to about Elkhart. Market impacting weather factors include wet conditions keeping the Midwest soil saturated and increased variability in the rain forecast for South America. Slow moving storm will linger across the Midwest through Saturday with a mix of rain and wintry precipitation. That precipitation expected to keep the Midwest soil saturated and the very wet conditions expected to lead to field work and planting delays this spring. Warmer weather over the next two weeks will favor soft red winter wheat areas in the Midwest. Across south across central and northeast Brazil crop areas, periods of heavy rain in the past several days have slowed down the soybean harvest, but is also leading to improved soil moisture for second crop corn that will be planted after the soybean harvest. Southern Brazil crop areas expect some lighter rain amounts. In Argentina, the crop area is forecast to see little to no rain through the end of the week. Argentina crop weather also going to be very warm to hot, which is increasing the concerns for dryness through the end of the month. Okay. All right. Well, it's still a bit of a wintry mix out there, huh? Exactly. Get past this day. It looks like sunshine and full force for tomorrow and on into the weekend. Some mainly dry conditions and maybe watch that system coming in for Monday night into Wednesday. But above normal temperatures starting next week and lasting for a while. We'll take that. I'll be darned. Okay. (laughs) We will take that, by golly. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate it. Where do you go to check in on your weather? Weather tab, krvn.com. Time for a market update on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Corn continuing to be one of the lone grains in the grain. Chicago wheat trying to come back around here at the midday while Kansas City is lagging on its soybeans, settling towards the middle of their range for the midday trade. Over in the livestock, though, we're starting to erode on those April live cattle now down more than a dollar. There's some trade taking place in the country live at a dollar twenty-four. So far, about fifteen hundred head. Feeder cattle also seeing some pressure this morning or this midday trade, but lean hogs trying to come back around and regain to their triple-digit gains energies in the broader commodity sector are still the ones taking the biggest drop over another three percent they're down below 55 dollars a barrel we're going back to october time frame type trading channels for the crude natural gas after seeing one of its biggest drops in recent years is back up just slightly ethanol futures also trending just a tear higher in the outside trade the coronavirus still has the dow jones and the dollar spooked as the dollars higher the dow jones lower march gordon's 393 even up four and a quarter december new crop 402 and a quarter up one and a half march Soybeans, 907 and three quarters down six. July, 935 and a quarter down six. November new crop, 945 and a quarter down a nickel. March Chicago wheat, 578 even. That's up a quarter. May, 577 and a half up a quarter. July, 577 even up a quarter. March Kansas City wheat, 490 and a quarter down two and a quarter. May, 498 even down one and three quarters. July at 505 and a half down one and a half. That's just a penny from the low. February live cattle, $1.2527 down 90. April, $1.2540 down $1.37. January feeders, $1.4315 down 77. March, $1.4225 down 80. February lean hulk, $6335 down 80 as well. April, $7527 down 75. Expand your cattle coats just to hear where we've got time. June live cattle, $1.17. 1750 down 95 April feeders at dollar 4497 down a dollar 5 more markets ag news and market commentary just visit ruralradio.com
Today we have Hugh Sandberg, Secretary Treasurer at Cattlemen's Beef Promotion and Research Board, to talk about what your dollar does to drive demand for beef. So what's new with the beef checkoff, Hugh? Thank you for having me today. When we talk about sustainability, it's about more than protecting your land. It's about the beef checkoff supporting good practices so your way of life stands the test of time. Good practices like the BQA certification. Colorado State University recently found that producers who listed their BQA certification in video auctions earned a premium on average of $16.80 per head sold. And recently we found that by continuing to improve how we take care of our land, our cattle, and overall operations, today's U.S. beef producers are producing the same amount of beef with one-third less cattle than they did four decades ago. It just goes to show when we are good stewards of the land, the land takes care of us. Those are some incredible findings, Hugh. Thanks for joining us from the Cattlemen's Beef Board. To find out more about what your dollar does for the beef industry, visit yourdollardoes.com. Funded by the Beef Checkout. Nebraska Farm Business Group Spar Over Property Tax Bill. I'm Shaley Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. Let's get a midday look at that ag news for a Thursday. A bill that would lower Nebraska's property taxes by shifting more state aid to schools is drawing support from the state's top agricultural and business groups, but opposition from schools that don't want restrictions on their taxing power and don't trust the state to maintain its funding. The face-off before the legislature's revenue committee was a troubling sign for the bill's prospects. Although the committee chairwoman says the proposal was likely to change, opposition from the state's mid-size and largest schools is a major hurdle that's supporters would likely have to overcome in the legislature. Senator Luann Linehan, the committee chairwoman, says it's a work in progress. And the U.S. Senate Wednesday put its finishing touches on the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa signed the agreement, the final step before the agreement heads to the White House. President Donald Trump was previously expected to sign the agreement sometime this week. The ceremony Wednesday signals the end is close after the nearly three-year process of renegotiating the agreement, then further negotiations to gain U.S. congressional approval. President Trump in January 2017 announced his intention to renegotiate the North American Free Trade Agreement. The trade talks started in May of that year. A deal was reached in September of 2018 between the U.S., Mexico, and Canada. Senator Deb Fisher, Republican from Nebraska, who attended the ceremony Wednesday, says she is proud that this critical trade agreement has finally come across the finish line. President Donald Trump told the American Farm Bureau Federation on Sunday that USMCA and the agreement with China are just the beginning and as his administration seeks more trade agreements. And speaking of trade, the positive news about trade recently has many in the business of agriculture hopeful for better days ahead. Bruce Gorder has more. One group hopeful for better times is the nation's pork producers. Pat McGonigal is the CEO of Iowa's Pork Producers, and he sees China as a huge market. With 1.4 billion people in China, obviously that's a big market. Um, And uh, I think, you know... 2019 was kind of a, a little bit below average year for us with regards to productivity or profitability. Um, and obviously with this China agreed, uh, agreement, doesn't take any tariffs off here right away, but at least lays out a platform for us to now expand that market. And if you look at November, December of 2019 and what our export numbers are there, um, it, it looks more positive. And with their uh, ASF, outbreak and, and risk there, 
it uh, provides us some opportunity, I think, moving forward. That's Pat McGonigal of the Iowa Pork Producers Association, and I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. And finally, a federal judge has ruled that provisions in a Kansas law that ban the secret filming at slaughterhouses and other livestock facilities unconstitutionally criminalize free speech. U.S. District Judge Catherine Radel mostly sided on Wednesday with a coalition of animal rights and consumer protection groups, which had challenged the state's ag-gag law, which was enacted in 1990. The law makes it a crime for anyone to take picture or video at animal facilities without the owner consent or to enter them under false pretenses. The judge says the Kansas law only targets negative views about animal facilities. That is a quick midday check of your ag news for this Thursday. For all of our ag news as well as audio and video and updated market commentary, you can visit ruralradio.com. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. So what does an undersecretary have to do with the National Western Stock Show going underway in Denver, Colorado? Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. For many, it's keeping the livestock safe that are there. I had the opportunity to talk with Undersecretary for Marketing and Regulatory Programs, Greg Ibot. He has spent some time out at the National Western and talked about the work they're doing when it comes to the health of the animals. We have some great opportunities. You know, animal disease traceability is uh, part of uh, a focus at uh, USDA right now, as you know. And so uh, uh, the stock show specifically working in cooperation with the Colorado State Vets Office has some great experiences and uh, uh, lessons that they've learned over the years about where animals come from to be exhibited at the stock show and some of the challenges they've had with health certificates and working between states as those animals move into Colorado. And then there's auctions, as you know, at uh, the stock show. And so where those animals disperse, not all of them go home to the ranch they came from. Some of them go to other states. And so uh, just being able to have a conversation with them around that traceability experience that they've had uh, is, was, is something that I think we can learn from at USDA as we work with other states. So what kind of conversation did you have? Are, are folks happy with the process? Is there some frustrations along the way? So I think some of the priorities that we've identified at USDA that we need to do from an intra- infrastructure perspective of enabling the way states communicate with each other, the movement to a uh, electronic health certificate uh, program from a paper system uh, are all valid things that uh, they see as moving forward and making their job and facilitating what they expect of themselves as well as what a national traceability system for disease purposes um, might uh, require of a state. Looking at the the opportunity, I think it really does to show the the health and the care that goes into transporting animals and making sure that there isn't interchangeable diseases across state lines. Well, I think that's uh, one thing, and uh, but also they also have a huge international uh, visitor component 
And as you know, in the swine industry, there's a lot of concern right now about how third-party individuals or even humans could uh, um, accidentally transmit African swine fever. And there's also concerns about other diseases out there that, uh, you know, a producer could be a vector for or his uh, shoes, footwear, clothing, uh, nasal passages could be a vector for over a few day period of time. And so I think that whole discussion about how we work with that international audience coming to these shows that bring a lot of national congestion in the livestock industry together to help communicate, to make sure we're observing those how many days since you were on your farm before you should be mingling with animals at an international exposition if you're a foreign visitor. I think are, are, are things that we can talk about and work with organizations like the National Western, the American Royal, the Nile to help protect the uh, U.S. herd. I was going to ask if, if it goes beyond that. As you look at other um, entities and other events, what are some things maybe after you've been in Denver, will you be suggesting or having conversations of ahead of these next big upcoming international shows, including World Dairy Expo and World Pork Expo? Yep, I think those are all, uh, you know, there's some uh, lessons learned and some insight gained by sitting down with the leadership of the National Western that we can use uh, uh, to try to uh, you know up our defenses and our guard. I don't. I didn't identify where we have you know big gaping holes, uh, but you know there's always ways to reinforce uh, and uh, improve practices that we're involved with. Those comments with Undersecretary Greg Ibaugh. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Time for us to take a look at sports and Brandon in here and a good afternoon to you, sir. And also to you. How's your day going? All right. It's doing okay. We got fed. So That's good. It's a good thing. It's all good. Mm-hmm. It's the circle of life, but in sports. As one great career ends, one very promising career is about to begin. Eli Manning is going to call it a career. The New York Giants say the two-time Super Bowl MVP will formally announce his retirement at a news conference on Friday, or tomorrow, whichever you choose. He's played an entire 16-year NFL career with the football Giants after being drafted first by the Chargers, then infamously saying he's not going to play for them, and then got traded to New York. The 39-year-old quarterback holds almost every team passing record. His future at the Meadowlands, although has been in doubt the last couple of months after losing his starting job to rookie Daniel Jones back in October. So here is where the debate begins. Obviously, he's overshadowed by his brother, which is interesting because, yes, Peyton has more of the records, but Eli's no slouch in himself. He is seventh all-time in NFL history, not just Giants history, where he leads all these categories, in all-time NFL history. Eli Manning is number seven in passing yards and number seven in completion percentage and number seven in touchdowns. He is a two-time Super Bowl champion, both of which were MVPs, four-time Pro Bowler, third most consecutive starts by a quarterback, 210 in his career, and he was the 2016 NFL Walter Payton Man of the Year. Now, there's a lot of people out there that saying that there's a strong debate as to whether or not he will be a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. If Kurt Warner makes the Hall of Fame, there's no reason Eli Manning doesn't make it. 
let the debate begin. I, I'm okay with it. With Just let him in. With okay, you, I'm okay with yeah. letting him in. I'm good. Okay. And see, that's that's the thing about Eli is he people are like, eh, he, doesn't he doesn't do it for you. No, but but if his name was John Smith, he would be the rallying cry for the first ballot Hall of Famer. But because he's the little brother, he gets overshadowed in so many different ways. So that's the circle of life with one career ending. Pelicans forward Zion Williamson, of course, who blew out his shoe. Thanks to those quality shoe constructionists, wherever they are abroad. He was the number one pick last year draft. Torres Meniscus originally had slated to be out for six to eight weeks. Here we are 19 weeks later, and he made his long-awaited NBA debut, scoring 17 straight points, ending with 22 in the fourth quarter, and most of that was in the fourth quarter, and a 121-117 loss to the Spurs. So Zion Williamson got his career off to a fast start, and interestingly enough, his coach decided to sit him for the last five minutes of the game. So while the game was close, coach decided that Zion wouldn't be a good player to be on the floor. Let that debate rage as well. University of Nebraska Kearney basketball teams travel to Maryville, Missouri tonight to take on the Bearcats from Northwest Missouri State. For the men, it'll be a tall task. The Bearcat men have won two of the past three Division II national championships and during that time are 116-6 and six with only two losses at home since the start of the 2017-18 season. And the Bearcats are currently ranked number two in the country. On the UNK side, head coach Kevin Lofton talks about the tall task ahead. I think the thing that makes them tough isn't so much you're playing them at home. I think it's just the mindset, the culture that they have there. Every player is completely bought into everything that they do. They have a lot of talent. They execute. They don't beat themselves. And they've played at a pretty high level against you know high level competition. So they always have that confidence that hey, no matter you know we just got to be who we are, and and eventually we'll uh, pull this thing out. So it's a tall order, but you know I think if you're going to face them, you know you'd rather face them coming off of four wins and and all of which were against good competition and and all of which we played at a pretty high level. So we'll kind of see where we're at. The women tip at 5.30 tonight. The men go right after about 7.30. Loper women aim to improve to 18-2 and two on the season. Loper men have won four in a row and continue to, be one of the, continue to be one of the real surprises in the MIAA as they sit at 6-2 and two in conference play and 12-5 and five overall. And, of course, we'll bring you both of those games online if you want to listen online or, better yet, good old-fashioned airwaves, 93.1, the river. <clears throat> All right. Should be interesting. Thank you, sir. Thank you. U.S. Attorney's Office has announced that 42-year-old Sean Heineman of North Platte was sentenced to 48 months in prison by senior U.S. District Judge Lori Smith-Camp for distribution of methamphetamine. In addition to his prison term, Heineman will serve three years of supervised release following his release from prison. In November 2017, an undercover officer met with Heineman and purchased 27 grams of methamphetamine. The case was investigated by the North Platte Police Department and Nebraska State Patrol. Nebraska Chief Justice Mike Hevekin outlined the accomplishments of the state's judicial branch in its annual State of the Judiciary Address to Nebraska lawmakers yesterday. Hevekin mentioned a joint pilot project that involves courts in central, southeast, and northeast Nebraska. In Dawson, Lancaster, and Madison counties, our court improvement project took the lead in a joint pilot project with the Department of Health and Human Services. The goal of this program is to increase the number of foster children reunited with their parents. 
The design was prompted by the actions of Judge Jeff Whiteman of Lexington and has been implemented by Judge Linda Porter of Lincoln and Judge Ross Stouffer of Norfolk. Chief Justice Hevekin said the court has also added problem-solving courts throughout the state to help young adults, people who are addicted to drugs and alcohol, and veterans who face certain criminal charges. Hevekin says those courts effectively reduce recidivism and increase community safety while being very cost-effective. He also pointed to the judicial branch's efforts to increase efficiency by providing clerk services for both county and district courts. A federal judge has ruled that provisions in a Kansas law that ban the secret filming at slaughterhouses and other livestock facilities unconstitutionally criminalizes free speech. U.S. District Judge Catherine Vitrail mostly sided Wednesday with a coalition of animal rights and consumer protection groups which had challenged Kansas's ag-gag law, which was enacted in 1990. The law makes it a crime for anyone to take a picture or video at animal facilities without the owner's consent or to enter them under false pretenses. The judge says the Kansas law only targets negative views about animal facilities. Union Pacific's fourth quarter profit fell 10% as the railroad hauled 11% less freight the Omaha Railroad said it earned $1.4 billion in the quarter, down from $1.55 billion a year earlier. The results fell short of Wall Street expectations. The analysts surveyed by Zach's Investment Research expected earnings of $2.03 per share on average. The railroad's revenue fell 9% to $5.21 billion in the period. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. An area you might not have thought as being hurt by China trade. That was the sheep industry. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Whether it was animal pelts or wool, the sheep industry has seen some ill effects from the trade war that we had with China. Now, the American Sheep Industry Association formally requested this month that Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue and Trade Representative Robert Leinheiser consider direct payments to sheep producers as part of any future market facilitation program. So I asked ASI's current president, Benny Cox of Texas, his thoughts and to elaborate a little bit more on this request. We, we actually applied, you know, from the get-go. And, and what's been most... Uh, uh, challenged by this uh, the, the issues in China and the tariffs and all was our raw wool and our pelts I mean they've actually boycotted our raw wool and and so it's just been devastating to the market actually fell off uh, actually they they uh, in September of 18 they imposed 10% tariffs and through 19 the wool revenue fell off somewhere over 70% and these hides over 80% in value and so that's been devastating to our market you know due to the fact that most all of our exports or the higher percentage of our exports go to China and so it just it, it really turned everything up upside down for these for these people with the, the wool sheep and now not only did did we receive 1.5 million from the, the Trump administration to counteract these losses uh, went directly to the industry and not to the, the producers. And we're now looking at the second year uh, or the second curing term 
uh, that will affect their income, and that's not a good deal at all. The government came up with a lamb buy, and we've done that numerous years since I've been been here, uh, a $17 million lamb buy, and we're going to buy both legs and shoulders, and we don't have a shortage of that. They didn't ask the industry uh, for advice, and so it really hadn't been functional. But due to the fact that the USDA felt like uh, the economists for the USDA felt like there needed to be some kind of payment, uh, it just didn't benefit us. And we're not, you know, we're not, uh, uh, it's just it, without uh, asking the industry, uh, they came up with something that was, this was not, well, just wasn't workable, I guess is the best way to put that. So, We've made a request. If there is a third go around this, we've made a request that they might send, uh, uh, you know, payments, direct payments to uh, sheep producers in the United States. So that's what that's all about. So, have you gotten any reaction or comments back from the Ag Secretary or his or his people or the Trade Representative's office? Uh, no, not not as of yet. Uh, actually, we made that request from the get go. And their response was, is they felt like that it would be, it may cost more to mail out all those checks than it was, you know, than it was worth the industry. So that kind of was their response from the get-go. But due to the fact uh, that they've gone forward with a land buy, it didn't seem to work out. They may be responsive to our, to our request this time. So, you know, we'll keep your fingers crossed. Very much so. You guys have the ASI convention set to get underway. A variety of meetings taking place these first couple of days. What seems to be the mood of this industry, knowing we've had struggles, especially with what the wool prices have been and the issues that we've seen with China? Well, you know, actually, people are just now arriving for the most part. I ended up, you know, I got in yesterday, and, and the officers and I sat down yesterday afternoon and, and had a meeting until till dark 30 last night uh, so i really hadn't hadn't really got the feel of of you know how everybody <laughs> seems to be getting along but i would say this it looks like our uh uh sign ups for for attendance here is going to be somewhere on, on the north side of 400 which is a good number uh that's about where we stand generally uh you know we had our hundredth year we got we you know we beat 500 but 400 plus is a pretty good number for a for a turnout like this and so it looks like that people uh you know are coming through and feel comfortable and cut you know get you know breaking away from their their daily chores and and coming to this meeting so uh we're kind of excited about that what are some of the hot issues that you guys are going to be talking about this year at convention well one of the big big issues is is the wool testing lab uh yoko mccall is is uh they're going to shut their doors we're looking at the opportunity to have a a wool, uh, this has not been approved, it's not in writing yet. We've got uh, a lot of paperwork, a lot of time has been spent uh, surveying the possibility, but possibly having a wool testing lab uh, actually in my hometown, San Angelo, Texas. Texas a University have a facility out north of town, um, and they've been doing wool testing there for years. They've got the capability of doing um, uh, a, a good job at that. They, they're going to have to, of course, uh, to be able to keep up with the speed of commerce, they're going to have to have a, a, a bigger staff, of course. They'll have to hire individuals to both manage and run that, and and they'll have to to have a you know more uh, more machine you know you know more machinery and stuff to to, to accomplish that. 
That's Benny Cox, president of the American Sheep Industry Association. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Bureau. It is time for us to take a look at our business report here on our midday show. Scott in here with you along with Bob Brogan. We'll hear from him in just a moment. Let's take a look at stocks in the overnights. And I'll tell you what, uh, whether it's uh, the concerns of the coronavirus or something else, stocks are down across the world big time. The Japanese Nikkei down 233 points. The Hong Seng in Hong Kong is down 425 points. London's FTSE is down 63. And the German DAX index is down 126 points. The 10-year yield here in the United States is also down almost 2.5 percentage points. Here in the, the Dow Jones Industrial Averages, down 71, uh, nearly 72. NASDAQ is down 5, and the S&P is down uh, almost uh, two, so just just barely down. But before we turn it over to Bob and we get into the business, I wanted to take a moment. Uh, you know, we just heard the story that uh, Jim Shear uh, passed away. Jim Lear passed away from uh, from PBS NewsHour. Boy, what a what a pioneer he was. Yes, yeah, so I many times I watched him on the air, and he was a pro. He was, he was. A, an absolute uh, pro on the air. And uh, did so many things for the industry. Yeah, passed away today, this morning, in his sleep, supposedly peacefully. So good for him. That's the way to go. But uh, his legacy will be a long one for sure. He will uh, inspire a lot of up-and-coming journalists for many years and, and journalists that are already practicing. Just did it the right way. Yes, know? he did. And, and, and also was uh, the moderator for several uh, debates, uh, presidential debates over the years. It yes. seems like he was the only guy who did it for a while there. So anyway, just wanted to mention that, and I'll, I'll let you go and talk about business now. Stocks are sliding today, and uh, investors are worried about this uh, deadly virus outbreak in China, which we're continuing to hear more things about, whether it will continue spreading and uh, hurt the global economy. Well, it already is, kind of. Um, as to what we're going to do about all this, uh, that's still to be determined. The week opening for U.S. indexes follows a sell-off for global markets as authorities worldwide take measures to monitor and contain this virus. Meanwhile, long-term mortgage rates have fallen this week to their lowest level in three months. And the Trump administration has published new visa rules aimed at restricting a practice known as birth tourism, I didn't even know this existed. That This refers to cases when women travel to the U.S. to give birth so their children can have U.S. citizenship. Hmm. The new rules in the Federal Register say applicants will be denied tourist visas if they are determined by consular offices, by consular officers to be coming to the U.S. primarily to give birth. So basically they're putting the, uh, kind of putting a halt to that. American Airlines' fourth quarter profit rose 27%, $414 million on strong travel demand that resulted in record occupancy levels on its planes. Also, Union Pacific Corporation reported fourth quarter profit of $1.4 billion. The Omaha-Nebraska-based company said it had profit of $2.02 per share. The results, though, fell short of Wall Street expectations. The average estimate of seven analysts surveyed by Zach's Investment Research was for earnings 
of $2.03 per share. So uh, some fourth quarter earnings to add to the uh, pile of information that we have today. And um, um, also, uh, oh, one more thing. Nebraska lawmakers have confirmed a new economic development director. Senators voted 42 to nothing to put Tony Goins, uh, Goins of Lincoln in charge of the Nebraska Department of Economic Development. So those are some of the stories we're keeping an eye on. All right. Very good. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate it. Date on the Rural Radio Network. Going into the latter half of the day's trade, corn and Chicago wheat still remaining in the green while corn pushes new highs. Chicago wheat in the middle of its range. Soybeans are off of its low while Kansas City wheat trying to move on the upper side of unchanged. In the livestock trade, we will settle with triple digit losses close to the lows on the live cattle and feeder cattle. Lean hogs, though, not quite triple digit gains, but maintaining in the green towards the end of the trade. Again, continuing to see crude oil fall now nearly 50, just right at $55 flat a barrel. In the outside trade, though, we have come back around. The NASDAQ, the S&P 500, both higher while the Dow's tipping lower. U.S. dollar index and the yen continuing to move higher. March corn, 393 and a quarter, up four and a half. July, 402 and a half, up three and a quarter. December new crop, 402 and a half, up one and three quarters. That is just a quarter from the high. March soybeans, 909 and a half, down four and a quarter. It's uh, six from the high. May, or July, excuse me, at 937 even, down four and a half. November new crop, 946 and three quarters, down three and a half. Chicago wheat, March. 580 and a quarter up two and a half May at 578 and three quarters up one and a half July 578 and a quarter up one and a half March Kansas City wheat 492 and a quarter down a quarter while May's 499 and three quarters unchanged July new crop 506 and three quarters down a quarter two off the low four from the high February live cattle will settle a dollar 2467 down a dollar 50 a dime from the low April a dollar 2417 down 260 June a dollar 1632 down 212 August a dollar 1385 down a dollar 92 January feeders a dollar forty two seventy seven down a dollar fifteen March at a dollar forty fifty two down two fifty two April a dollar forty three forty seven down two fifty five May a dollar forty five fifteen down two seventy seven February lean hogs are at sixty eight fifty up ninety five April seventy five thirty five up eighty two May eighty one seventy seven up ninety two June eighty seven eighty two up seventy two cents now as I trade the Dow's down forty eight. Just like the weather, crop insurance keeps changing. And that's why Farm Credit Services of America employs full-time crop insurance officers who understand those changes, deliver the best options to your farm, and the coverage you expect. The weather can be surprising. Your crop insurance shouldn't be. Discover the difference with a no-cost, no-obligation crop insurance plan review from Farm Credit Services of America. Learn more by calling 800-884-FARM. Mr. Chairman, as a corn root, I speak for millions of my kind who can't be here to defend themselves. Pests are stalking our stocks and undermining our roots. But we can elect to protect with a legacy of strength. Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment system increases nearby microbial activity to help us grow stronger. That's smart. Ladies and gentlemen, please, this is a corn roots movement. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment. Always read and follow label directions. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network. Joined with Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities looking at our closing livestock futures. And Joe Cattle starting to see a little bit of a sell-off today with the stock market lower, but lean hogs hanging, standing their ground. Yeah, the, uh, the hogs definitely stood their ground in face of uh, the, the uh, cattle complex. Uh, really 
getting a big sell-off. And this is in front of a Catalan feed report tomorrow. So uh, very interesting uh, uh, the way we uh, are approaching this Catalan feed. There must be a little fear that uh, it's not going to be a very friendly report. But uh, that that uh, we'll wait to see uh, how that comes out. But, uh, you know, the market had been acting kind of tired anyway, and we finally got kind of a breakdown, and that, I think, initiated a lot of stops, just general liquidation out of both the feeders and the uh, fats. So, uh, you know, this, despite the fact that the cutouts at noon were up again, only 48 cents, but, uh, you know, we, we're, we've been holding in with our uh, cutouts, so... Uh, we'll see what tomorrow brings because that's going to be an important uh, Catalog feed report. Over in the hogs, pretty good day. Uh, cash uh, showing uh, uh, some signs uh, a little bit stronger and the cutouts up again. And uh, we, uh, we're seeing some pretty good uh, progress at this point uh, in moving higher. A little bit of a breakout uh, technically and uh, we get be uh, interesting to see if we get to follow through uh, tomorrow. And again, Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Do remember trading futures and options involve risk of loss may not be suitable for all investors. If you'd like to learn more with Joe, call him 1-800-328-0134. Miss anything from Midday on KRVN? Well, don't worry. Subscribe to the KRVN Midday Podcast on iTunes, Android, or the TuneIn app for a recap in ag weather, ag news, sports, business, exclusive interviews, and the current local news. Subscribe and download the free KRVN Midday Podcast now. In the small town of Dix, Sarah Nicholas is not only growing crops and calves, but leaders. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. Nicholas was nominated by Carla Wilkie, who says, What I admire about Sarah the most is her commitment to helping her daughters become leaders in ag and how she helps to develop their own aspects of the operation. Sarah and her husband, Joe, are from Colorado. They moved to the Panhandle in order to have their own operation, and land at the time was less expensive. She says they had the cattle before they began farming. We had our our dry land, and we had not planted corn yet. And we purchased our cattle, and then we kind of used that row crop. You know, then we could graze corn stalks, um, or we could use that product. We could um, keep some corn back and feed it to our steers uh, in the fall when we weaned them. And so it was actually kind of a cow came first before the row crops started on our operation. Along with farming and ranching, Nicholas is a born educator, teaching her daughters and also as a special education teacher at Potter Dix. This is my 11th year of teaching special ed. Um, I taught in Sterling and then at Pete's for a few years. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to be able to stay home um, when the girls were young and help my husband and then things changed and I got back into teaching um, and got hired on at Potter Dix which is a lot closer drive than Pete's or Sterling. It can be a tough balance for Nicholas holding down a teaching career and working on the farm and ranch. I really think the the balance comes from I, I know that you know I'm supporting my family you know with my job and that's important. I come to school and I work a full day and then a lot of times I go home and help out with things um, weekends are consumed with, you know, building fence or 
sorting cattle or doing things of that nature. Um, in the summertime, I do run the combine during wheat harvest, but you just got to keep um, track of your priorities and what's most important at that time and just kind of go with the flow. Nicholas came from an agricultural background and says in the past, women and girls were not always allowed in agriculture. I kind of saw this when I was growing up. You know, my grandfather was kind of old school and he did not, it was not a, a woman's place to be running the tractor or doing things in the field. And I guess with that, I'm, I think that um, women in ag need to just remember that sometimes in agriculture, it's hard to embrace new things. And sometimes doing what used to be done and what's always been done is a good thing, but also it's important to learn how to embrace the new things in ag. And I think if women just kind of don't get discouraged, keep pushing through and your work ethic and things like that will help you get through. Nicholas has two daughters, Kaylee and Caitlin, and she is passing her knowledge of agriculture down to them. They help us with everything from... You know, they help us shag pickups around when we're working in the field. Um, They stay out late with us. They run in the combine. They clean drills out. They help work cattle. They just, they do everything that we do. And and they really enjoy it. Um, Our oldest daughter really enjoys the livestock portion of it more than the younger one. And she's more interested in the farming. So there's a pretty good balance between what the two are interested in. And I think the, the biggest thing that's such a positive is just the lifestyle um, of living on a farm and, and having livestock. The lifestyle that they get to experience, the responsibility and the, the core values that they learn are, I think, extremely important. Nicholas says her children and others who have the opportunity to grow up in agriculture are very fortunate to experience that kind of environment. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. Hey. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network. We're talking with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. John, we've watched this market over the weekend. It's kind of been in both directions, but corn really making some positive strides higher this afternoon. Yeah, so two stories. Obviously, the uh, you know the, there's a flash sale made this morning to unknown. So there's some rumors that possibly it was, it was China. I don't think it was. That's just my hunch. I think it's probably more South Korea, but... Um, there are some rumors that they're, they are going to be buying a few U.S. cargoes, so that'll be something we're going to watch for. And then the second thing would be the model run shift and dryer in uh, Argentina. Um, so the, the weather problems now in Brazil and Argentina are going to shift more towards corn. I know beans will have some exposure to them, but the early crop beans, they're going to harvest, I, I think the number's close to like 50, 55 million uh, metric tons of the first bean harvest that gets put in, and then the rest of it will get harvested you know, in, in the March to April time period. But... Um, so there's a little bit of threat to soybeans, but the estimates are going up rather than down, whereas with corn, they didn't plant as much this year, and uh, they have a tight, tight stocks carryover ratio just due to the, all the exporting they've been doing over the past year to the trade deal or the trade war. So, uh, you know, there's some panic move coming here. Now, what does that really mean for U.S. futures prices? I think a test of $4 is probably the best you're looking at, in my opinion. To get the market to really rally through that, I think you've got to be looking at, you know, offers past April to, to jump. So my thought would be, you know, pin it up with put options if the market would continue to rally. Uh, otherwise, make the sales and try to reown them real cheaply. Uh, I think that there's a lot of upside in corn, but to get a real move like we saw last summer, I think the U.S. US is going to have to be a part of it. 
And looking at those soybeans, we've seen a significant decline in bean prices from the first of the year. Is this possibly the sell side of the spread, and how much lower do we go? That's part of it. I, I have a hard time believing that we're going to be too much lower in here. I mean, my chart resistance comes in at like 885 on the on the March. It's a little light, in my opinion. But again, as I mentioned before, the, the supplies that you're going to hear out of Brazil and South America are, are, are massive, and so that's going to scare the funds. But Again, watch meal here. If meal can stay near 300, and it did today. It was actually green on the day, and then you had oil up as well. That's bullish for the crush. And U.S. crush is very, very solid here. So, um, you know, I think in the near term, you know, be prepared for a little bit more downside. So if you're jumping in here, don't think that you're not going to see a test of nine. But I think in the long run, if you're buying, you know, new crop, that might be the best buy because in reality, I don't think you're going to get the acreage that, you know, the informers of the world are projecting with you know new crop futures sub 950 so if i was going to buy anything i think on the new crop side would be the the better play again we've been talking with john payne senior marketing analyst with daniel zag marketing in chicago if you'd like to read their newsletter this week in grain visit their website danielzagmarketing.com do remember trading futures and options involves risk of loss it may not be suitable for all investors consider these risks before investing And that's going to do it for our midday show here on KRVN. To hear the midday show in its entirety, go to krvn.com and click on the podcast. Brought to you by Divinity Motors.